Hi, I'm Deepak Madnani, entrepreneur, problem solver, and amateur barista. I am on a mission to help forward-thinking entrepreneurs succeed and grow by understanding two simple rules. Crisis is a clarity opportunity, and the question is never really the question. Today, I am putting my barista skills to the test and sharing a cup of coffee with resilient problem solvers from all over the world. Let's get started. Carl, the last decade is usually quite relevant. So what have you been through in the last decade? So the journey starts about 12 years ago. I was working in a relatively corporate environment, large UK holiday resort provider. I was the sales director. And I was just looking at a sector that was not really changed much for 20 or 30 years. You keep hearing these words like disruptive and exponential yeah. and those sort of things. And I had a couple of guys that I was working with. There'd been a change of the top level board of directors and my colleagues. I just said, look, why don't we go out into the city, see if we can borrow some money? I was in my sort of mid to late 30s at the time. I'd lived a very corporate life. And we just said, let's go and give it a go. And that's basically, that's how we started my company, Away Resorts. And I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur until that moment. I thought, <laughs> you know what I mean? I had a life of my, yeah. my dad saying to me, look, there's a structure, you work hard, you get promoted, you work hard, you get promoted. And then suddenly entrepreneurialism landed on me. Um, I realized my mindset was about entrepreneurialism. And suddenly the world opened in terms of, I actually own this. I can make those changes. I can alter the things that used to frustrate me. And what that does is opens up a world of opportunity. And it's almost becomes so, so confusing. There's just so it's, much that you can do. It's empowering. It's empowering. But at the same time, it's a problem of opportunity versus a problem of scarcity. There's Those an abundance of ideas yeah. and a scarcity of time. And also not normally having a world where my boss would tell me what he wants me to do, yeah. what he wants me to do. I ended up being that person that had to make those defined choices. And so in the early phases of our business, that was the struggle. And we went through a couple of private equity exits. And I ended up with a chairman, a guy called Gary Fletcher, who's on strategic coach. I sat down with him and said, I've got a million ideas. Here they are listed on this really, it was like a pad of chaos. You know, I'd just written all these notes down. Mm. He was blown away by it. And what he did, he said to me, why don't you go to strategic coach? Because that will help you give you frameworks to think through and prioritize and make commitments to do certain things, which is what I did. And then I came back with so much more mental structure, much better prioritization, much better application of my personal time very specific abilities to brief with use of things like impact filter and other mm, stuff. Yeah. And we deployed those. And that's where the organization that I now run moved from 200 colleagues to a thousand colleagues. We more than 10 X the profitability over time. And that was a space of how long, Carl? That was about five years that happened. In the last five years or f yeah, in the last, in the last five, years, five right? years. And yeah. I think the point is strategic coach don't, 10x your business for you or 10x your mindset. Yeah. What Strategic Coach does is give you the framework to liberate your mind in a way that you can then go and deploy your own mental asset mm. to make those businesses grow in a structured, thought-out way. Carl, I'll challenge you a bit here. You just very casually said that when you started this, now I'm talking about the entrepreneurial journey. Oh, uh, we had a couple of P exits as if, you know, I just went for a cup of coffee, <laughs> you know? So... My journey has been trial by fire, entrepreneur from day one, entrepreneurial family, not even knowing what that was, but never even tried the corporate life. But mine was trial by fire, of which it was lots of fires, of which then I thought it was all about putting out fires. Yes. But here you are starting your 
Well, I'll first challenge you and say, I, I would have probably labeled you as a closet entrepreneur. Okay. Yeah. That's why you were so successful in the corporate life. Mm -hmm. But these casual P exits, I mean, you're basically talking about even if one person had one P exit in their lifetime, they'd be like, wow, you know, that's a stamp of approval. Wow. My life is amazing. You had a couple. Why is it so casual? I, I don't want to use the word easy, but why, why is it so casual for you to talk about that? when it's a big deal. You raise an interesting point, actually. And I think it comes down to when you look through life through your own lens, that which is normal to you, you have a different perception of what it actually means to yourself because it's something that I've done. It's been quite routine. I suppose it's about who you select as a private equity partner that makes it easier, if you like. So we as a team were very specific about the kind of partners that we were looking for, depending on the phase that the business was in. So in its early growth phase, and our naivety as a management team, we needed a private equity partner that had been in our space before, understood the acquisition process, understood the Bolton process, had got track record in handling management that were greenhorns in terms of private equity ownership. And then the second private equity partner was about then organic growth of the acquired assets and firepower to bolt on. And what we did was spent a lot of time and diligence working with the right private equity partners. So it felt really aligned from day one. We were really connected as a result of that. I think that the one watch out I would say to anybody that's moving from corporate institutional life into private equity or, or moving from a private equity non-shareholder into a shareholder environment, that you have to look at your investor backer as your business partners in this. They're not your employers. That took me a few years to realize I was sitting in a boardroom acting like they were my CEO or they were my Correct. chairman. Do you get my yeah. point? When I got the shift that, hold on, we're collaborating together. I'm bringing the capital in terms of knowledge and experience and capability, and they're bringing the capital in terms of cash to support the deployment. And we then invest parallel to one another, smaller amount of management cash, but also management mindset. And that's what I think was the real change for me. And then it felt really easy then because we're around a table collaborating mm. and achieve the same goal. It sounds like you've intentionally, I use this word a lot because this word intention is the kind of magic spell for entrepreneurs. You know, I mean, if, you know, if we're intentional about something that comes with, with clarity, we tend to make that happen because that's what we see. That's the radar. And it sounds like you've been intentional about your collaborations and the process. Tell me about stuff that you didn't anticipate that was hard. So over self-confidence was a big one. You were in your mid-30s, correct? When, yeah, when this was happening. Mid to late thirties, yeah. and we had an opportunity to buy an asset that was in financial distress and it was a rock bottom bargain basement price. But it had its challenges and we could see it. But we'd sprinkled our pixie dust on the first two assets that we'd bought and just felt we were invincible. We felt yeah. we were wearing the big Superman cape and our pants on the outside of our trousers, right? And this asset taught us a lesson. It nearly bankrupt the company. It took a long time for it to put straight. It was in worse shape than we'd ever imagined. And reputationally was destroyed. And that was being dragged into our brand. And I lost sleep for about six months. And mm. probably not sleeping at all. Put a lot of stress into me and a lot of stress on the business. And there was one moment where I thought, we're in a real pickle here. What it does, though, it teaches you resilience. It teaches you to do your due diligence properly, really deeply. Don't take everything on face value, scratch beneath the surface. The devil really is in the detail. And that was one of those, I had that lesson early enough to never make that mistake again. And that was one big thing. The second big thing was the global financial credit crunch. You learn a lot about your business. And so by having business assets that have got multiple levers to pull at different times. So we have got a multi-channel proposition that means 
if one part of the business is under trading, I can lean on the other part of the business, which gives you stability. Now, you can either do that at a portfolio level, have multiple businesses with different dynamics. And it means when the market is shifting in your favor, not everything will shift at a stratospheric pace. But when sure. it's against you, when you get into a bear environment, you've got other things that will hold you up and they're counter-cyclical. I think those are the two really big learnings. So as we rolled into the pandemic, into the coronavirus mm. environment, what that meant was we've got very big assets that are unwieldy, low agility, but our mindset is not low agility. We think quick, yeah. we get into the detail, we have very collaborative meetings, we debate everything and agree and implement with real pace as a result of those learnings that we had before. We don't just watch and wait for the world to form around us. Where does ambiguity create certainty? So I talk a lot about crisis and there's varying degrees of crisis, especially for entrepreneurs, right? There's what's a pandemic for the world for an entrepreneur, they could be facing that magnitude regardless, even when the markets are great. Okay. Yeah. I talk about clarity, crisis forces clarity, crisis force focus, but it's also a performance indicator. You know, yeah. how are we actually performing that once our assumptions are taken away from us, how are we, uh, Performing. And I think this mindset, as you keep talking about, of agility, responsiveness, and as you figured out, the overconfidence, right? Yeah, um, totally, yeah. Going forward and responding to COVID, we're on year two, and of course, the UK is still in yeah. very bad shape, right? Yeah. And you're in an industry that's tough. Yes. Mindset is clear. How are you responding tactically? So we have got eight locations, a thousand people. We're about 85% of individuals are on furlough, job retention. So the key bit is on day one is stabilize as much as you can, suppress your cost base, getting control rapidly. I think to be highly communicative in an uncertain world, spend a lot of time communicating with customers, communicating with colleagues. Everybody's stressed. Everybody's feeling the pain. And I think it's really important. This is where humanity stands before tills ringing. We have to do the right thing by our people. And I think we'll be remembered for that, not just yeah. our commercial behaviors. Then we've got a responsibility to investors, to banks. You know, I want to be able to pay wages. And then the entrepreneurialism sits at the end of that queue, which is, now how can we take advantage of this? And so I kind of balance up those first few pieces. So from a tactical basis, we're a very physical business. You arrive at our yeah. locations. If you want to buy a holiday home, you go and have a feel of the asset. How do we do that digitally? Well, we just deployed a remote video system, which allows our sales teams and our customers to talk one-to-one -one digitally. We've got online signing documentation now. So we've just gone into a more digital virtual environment that allows us to maintain the sales volume that we've been able to enjoy is a key feature. We've also moved into much more of a political arena where I have a role now to start lobbying government, lobbying MPs, pushing the direction, the narrative in around unlocking from lockdown and making sure that we have got visibility in terms of what's the unlock strategy, which is yet to be mm. So where we don't have clarity, then as a team, the tactics are, what will be our strategy if X happens, Y happens, or Z happens? What are we going to do with those various scenarios? Then we work on those scenario builds. Then as things happen, we know already what our decisions will be, and we can be much mm. more rapid to get in open again versus our competitors that may not be quite so clear of thought. Yeah. They're the fundamentals that we're deploying now. And everybody on the planet that is in a closed business is moving ever closer to a liquidity risk. And so yeah. it's then all about managing the balance sheet and keeping that strong. Yeah. I think this point you mentioned about, it's a, a constant chase towards clarity. That I think is what will help entrepreneurs. I guess there's always this gut reaction of this deer in the headlights, punch in the gut, kind of the world's collapsing. 
actually, it's part of the game that we've chosen to play with respect to being an entrepreneur. What would you have done differently five years ago? You know, with the benefit of hindsight now, when you're yeah. closed, your balance sheet will save you. Okay. So right, right. having a bank that has got a lot of liquidity on it and invariably entrepreneurs like bright, shiny objects. They like shiny new things, whether that is in a business world or their personal world. And the trinkets of capitalism are lovely to hand. But then when you get something completely unexpected, like a global credit crunch or a pandemic, and these seem to be cycling every 10 years at the moment, the balance sheet needs to be in good health, really, really good shape. And so I would suggest that the thing I'd do differently is making sure that I have a balance sheet of a safety net that is my safety net alongside a high performance trading business. That would definitely be the one thing. The second bit is, and this is a really old statement now, but Mike Tyson had this lovely phrase, which is everyone's got a strategy until you get punched in the, punch face. In the face. Yeah. Right? The learning I've got from that is what's your strategy after you've been punched in the face? Mm. And so, so for me, it is go in with a plan, but then scenario build about the tactics around that when the first punch lands. And, and yeah. then you're much better equipped to, and, and much more agile in, in terms of a business viewpoint. So what are the likely punches in the faces we're going to get? So for me, it is in 10 years' time, let's assume in 10 years' time, there's another giant liquidity issue. How will we prepare this business for that and be, yeah. be ready to go with it? Because you can um, get lost in the here and now, Deepak, right? You, get, you, you, know, you know what I mean? You, it's like you're having great success now. I can buy another business. I can acquire something else. I can expand. I can do, do all of those things. And they, they're all in the very short term. But having that 10-year horizon and an eye on that prize matters. You know, the way I look at it, the big learning for me, so last year was all about restructuring and house cleaning. So, I mean, outside of getting freaked out and, and scared and, you know, you got to deal with all that mindset of now, how do we prepare for this? What is the problem first? And you just define it. You have to put a line around all of it, right? And that's how you get tactical. The coaching that I've been doing with other entrepreneurs, you know, is exactly what you said, all these shiny objects and, you know, that, that distract entrepreneurs, right? Because we, we think we're superheroes. Where are we kissing frogs? So, you know, that's basically time wasting, right? Things aren't going to happen. Riding dead horses. Where have we thrown the baby out with the bathwater? There's all these kinds of expressions that like come into play. And you're like, let's just analyze our business. What relationships aren't working? It's ultimately hyper-focus. Crisis, again, it's just that degree of, of hyper-focus. And I've come into this part two of the crisis. So it's 2021 with clarity, with a much lighter business, luckily profitable, but just with now, with this gift of time, I keep saying, there's this, there's this gift of time. And now not to fall back into the traps of shiny object. And the big question for me for this year, so that's what I wanted to ask you, but, but the big question for me this year is about having a tactical fascination and motivation for 2021, taking all this learning from behind. Yeah. So how are you looking at this year then? Yeah. So for me, there's a few things actually that we need to be really thoughtful about. There is, I keep hearing the phrases like, this is the new normal. And, and if you're not careful, you get lost in that mindset. What about if we reverse that and say, this is the new abnormal? Let the other businesses do the new normal. Let them do the normal stuff. And let yeah. them revert back to the way it used to be, business as usual in pre-pandemic environment. Correct. When they move back to where they were, let's be somewhere else. Let us be yeah. taking advantage of the learnings that we've had as a business. So, for, And they'll be unique to whatever business space people are in. But for me, there have been lots of operational changes in our estate. And some of them have been good. 
And the risk mm. will be that your management team will want to just take you back to where you were because that's what they've always done for 30, 40 years. I want yeah. to be somewhere else when that comes back. So tactic one is identify the things that will provide you with a real robust competitive advantage moving forwards. Now, in, in order to have a competitive advantage, you need to understand your customer. And that customer has changed. They are more adept at having a great night in. They're more adept at living in a virtual environment. They are used to this now. That connectivity yes. changed. Equally, that's true of your colleagues. And so how do we adjust the way we operate, both internally and from our customer perspective, based on that? And then the final tactic, I think, is that I believe you know, everybody talks about baby boomers, Generation X, Generation Y or millennials, and then Gen Z. And what does all that mean? And I think it's been very noticeable over the last sort of 24 months. I refer to it lovingly in a positive way, not in a negative way, as the Greta Thunberg generation, the climate change movement that is in the young of our lives right now. Within one or two years, they're going to be entry-level colleagues. They're going to be yeah. in the workforce. And if you don't have a business that answers their questions, they will go to businesses that do. And then what yeah. we'll also risk having a lack of high quality, high performance individuals because they want to take their morals and ethics first and go elsewhere. So tactically, it is about us making sure we have a new abnormal. We understand the new ways our customers want to behave digitally and our colleagues want to behave digitally and then prepare ourselves for this new generation that's coming through that have got different morals and they're coming through at real pace and they can mobilize massively using social media. And we need to be aware of that and, and open our minds to it. I think the final piece for me is we need to create a diverse business that is fully inclusive, where we've seen the Black Lives Matter movement and what does that mean? And it's true of ethnicity generally. I think it's time to stop that narrative. We have to do something about that. We're all responsible for it in some way. And so I'm absolutely adamant that we're also going to make sure that this business is one of the most diverse, inclusive, accepting entities that there can possibly be. It's mattered and it's become more relevant while we've been locked down, having to be mindful. The gift of time has given us the ability to analyze what we've done. What can I say I've positively contributed to it? I haven't been negative towards it, but I haven't done enough. And it's that that's the final bit for me is to make society a better place. I'm high-fiving you. Carl, that's awesome. It's this push towards purpose, right? I think that's what COVID's teaching us. Everything, we can talk about digital, we can talk about the shifting behavior of the consumer. But I think this world has just become so much more closer because every hairline fracture is now exposed even, you know, from massive to, I mean, nobody can hide behind hypocrisy or busyness or, you know, my government's better than your government, my religion's better than your religion. It is literally, truly one world, right? Because the farmer in India the factory in Mexico and the president of the United States were all affected by COVID. It's a global issue. And so having that 10-year vision as you're looking at it, it sounds like it today. Purpose-driven, purpose-driven. Sounds like we're all feeling it. And I think we all have to just make that happen. You're right. And you know what? We need to do it with a degree of positivity and optimism. It is the purpose-driven piece from it. For example, I was sat the other day thinking we buy our team uniforms and we buy them based on price. And I don't know who stitched those together. Yeah. I don't know whether their right. life has been positively impact impacted yeah. by my company's buying decision. And it's not yeah. about being woke and all this stuff. It's about actually taking your responsibilities to people that you'll never see, seriously. And we influence their lives. And I think that's the point. That's the purpose-driven organization is understand the entire supply chain and make sure that you're doing something that contributes. Even if that costs you more money, the trinkets of capitalism can't come up any cost. 
they have you to know, um, be responsibly earned. And I think it is about staying woke as well, because we can't outsource the responsibility of the politicians going to take care of my values anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not blaming politicians, but I'm just saying that for me, it's exciting. The fact that the more awake we get is that power to influence. And we all have that. I mean, look at us having this, this conversation over Zoom, which yeah. usually wouldn't happen because we'd be busy. Yep. You know, we have the time for that. And another thing that I've been talking a lot to my colleagues and, and people is, is like, we have to stop looking outside for leadership. The hashtag that I use on my Instagram post is, you are the leader you are looking for. Mm. And it's extremely empowering. I mean, for us, even as business owners, you know, we're, we're coming into this COVID environment with resources. Forget even if your balance sheet's down, relationships, experience, skills, talents, you know, all of this are resources that, that, that we're bringing. That's part of our balance sheet. You know, we, we should... Value that. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know, many people have said to me, well, you know, God, what does this cost you in terms of your business? And I said, you know, I said to them, look, business, it's been pained, but we're alive. We've got our shirts on our back and we've always got opportunity in front of us. So we mustn't dwell on the downside. And you have to internalize or move that away. And then the internal driver for you needs to be a purpose-driven, value-driven life. And just that roll with the punches, but take advantage. And that's what entrepreneurs should be able to do is to really accept adversity, but then leverage opportunity from it in a positive way. But the leadership starts from within. Absolutely no doubt. It's what's your moral compass. Don't get in pursuit of millions, get in pursuit of changing people's lives and the returns follow that. Carl, I think that's what you've brought to your journey, right? I mean, I don't even want to use this word positivity so much versus you're coming in with the mindset is, of course, there's, there's a solution to every problem. But not only that, there's an opportunity always available, which is what's driving you ahead versus getting shrunk by whatever it is that you're facing at the moment. Absolutely. Where there's pain, there's profit. That's always been my mantra. Where you're feeling discomfort or where your customers yeah. feeling discomfort or where your team yeah. are, there's always an opportunity to find a solution for that and make something better from it. So I have this philosophy of leapfrog. If everybody's feeling pain across an entire sector, don't just make the pain go away, but actually do pain plus one and get mm. it all gone and actually stand ahead of the competition always. So it's just having that. I get excited by a problem. <laughs> yeah, right, problem right. There, there you go. Yeah. Brilliant. Let's go, let's go resolve this. What an exciting opportunity. So few people have the chance to resolve the problem. Most of the time, it's being resolved by people above you and they're delegating the actions that you need to take to make the problem yeah. go away. Entrepreneurs yeah. have got that gift of problem solving. I have to say, it's, if it has to be anything, it must be looked at upon as an opportunity. Otherwise, you just spend your life stressed and frustrated. Which is, I think, a lot of the corporate life, which is why us entrepreneurs don't last long over there, basically. If you're feeling in pain when you're getting delegated, you're probably an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, right? There are all these closet entrepreneurs as well. And they're like, it's almost like a scary thought. It isn't. You're just basically, as you said, the minute you unlock, you open that door, there's this huge feeling of freedom. And then it's like, wait, now, how do I start? Right. Yeah, and which I, is why I, it needs the guidance. Absolutely right. I think if you're sat at a desk on a computer and you are forever sneaking off to Google and searching various things and you're being curious about stuff and you're being inquisitive and you're challenging the status quo and your boss may refer to you as a bit disruptive or... You're always, yeah. questions. You're always yeah. pushing the boundaries. You're probably an entrepreneur. And then go do something about it. Totally. You've got to make a change, in my opinion, because you're forever going to be inquisitive. And then one day you'll look back when you're on your rocking chair on your porch in the twilight days of your life 
wishing you'd done it. I'll also throw it back at them. Those who are thinking about it is the world needs you. The world needs more problem solvers. I mean, that's just, I'll say there's a moral duty almost, you know, just to go out there and contribute. Totally. Go and let the world see what your personality can deliver. Yeah. Cool, Carl. Awesome to talk to you. You take care. Thanks very much for the question. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Did you have any moments of clarity? I would love for you to rate and review this episode. Your feedback is crucial to tailoring this content for your growth needs. If you would like to hear more, please be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn and or message me on dm at deepakascoffee.com.